Welcome to Locked On NBA on a Tuesday, everybody. I'm Wes Goldberg from the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors here with the host of Locked On Heat, David Ramil. The Nets dominate the Bucks. The Suns pull away from the Nuggets, and we predict the winner of the Clippers and Jazz series. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. You are Locked On NBA. Your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, recording this on a Monday night after a couple of playoff games. We'll talk about Nuggets, Suns, and then preview uh, Tuesday night's playoff games later on. But let's start with our first matchup in Brooklyn. Great offense from the Nets, 32 points from Kevin Durant, 22 for Kyrie Irving, and good contributions across the rest of the roster as Brooklyn shot 52% and never trailed. As they beat the Bucks 125 to 86, they take both games at home and a 2-0 lead in the series that next heads to Milwaukee. But before we look ahead to game three, David, what stood out to you about this dominant performance from the Nets, who are doing it without James Harden, who was still out with that hamstring injury? How effortless it all looks. I think that's the big part of it is just they never seemed like they were threatened in any way, shape or form. And, and look, to your point earlier, they, they never relinquished their lead. They had it from the, the tip and they carried it the whole way through up by 49 points at one point. And you, you talk about the shooting percentages, but they just got every look they wanted The pace play perfectly to Brooklyn's strengths. They were able to get those kind of productive minutes out of role players that you not, might not normally see. And, and look, I'm not often right, but when I am, it's worth pointing out. And I said earlier in the season, at the start of this year, even before they acquired James Harden, that I, I still thought this Nets team could be dangerous with just Durant and Irving, and they're looking every bit as dangerous as they are, even with Harden. So they just look absolutely like they were in full control never allowed Milwaukee to get into any kind of comfortable zone there. And just, they did everything they wanted. And that, I think that's the biggest takeaway is how easy it came for them. To your point, even before they got James Harden, why you thought that they were going to be, this is still why you end up getting three stars, right? I mean, this is why Kevin Durant has sought to play with multiple superstars since his days in Oklahoma city, where an injury to him or an injury to Russell Westbrook, basically, submarine any chances that his thunder teams had of winning the finals this is why james harden wanted to get traded to brooklyn because so much was put on his shoulders time and time again in houston and if he were to break down in the playoffs or if a teammate like chris paul suffers a little hamstring tweak in the conference finals the rockets didn't have an, a, a shot of beating a loaded team like the warriors and so look they're doing this without james harden but they still have two great stars on this team in this in these first two games they've had two of the three best players on the court and it hasn't even been really close right of course the bucks have Giannis, but chris middleton has been nowhere he missed his first eight shots of this game and by that point it kind of felt like it was already over drew holiday look he's a great player but he's just a couple of notches below these other guys that we're talking about and this is why you make that trade every single time because When you have three stars, it's a little bit of insurance in case one of them gets hurt. And um, and that's exactly what we're seeing with Brooklyn. And you're right. It is getting really easy. And when you have Kevin Durant scoring at that efficiency, when you have Kyrie Irving scoring as efficiently as he does and and the Nets overall shooting 52 percent, those defensive concerns. And this was the big takeaway for me, David, those defensive concerns that we have about Brooklyn and that we should have about, about Brooklyn. They're not as concerning when they're instead of playing in transition and all these things, 
They're able the, the Bucks have to take the ball out of the basket and the Nets have an opportunity to get set on their defense and play in a half court game. And you've got Durant guarding Giannis and you've got Blake Griffin now not having to, to sprint up and down the floor at his age. Uh, he could just get into the half court and settle down under the basket. And I thought his defense in particular near the rim was actually pretty good for what we're maybe expecting from Blake Griffin. I thought, you know, Brooklyn's defense holding holding Milwaukee to, to 86 points uh was was as much of of uh as much of an indicator of how good they were offensively and this is and when they're connected like that you know everything tends to work out for them yeah bucks fans are already complaining about mike budenholzer and i think seeing a lot of the same traits that they saw last year after their second round exit at, at, you know at the hands of miami uh obviously they were able to dominate the heat but it, it just they're doing the exact same things defensively. Uh, Milwaukee is they're allowing those shots that they often do during the regular season, those mid range shots, but you just have such gifted offensive scores. But I, I like that you brought up Blake Griffin's points because his defense actually, I agree was really solid. Like, look, he's going to get blown by on occasion because he's not as mobile as he once was, but he was a big enough body to at least be able to adjust his feet, keep Giannis from getting too comfortable. And although he did finish eight of 15, that's that's not really a productive night for an MVP level player like out of the Kumpo. I mean, he needs to be taking at least 20 something shots per game if they have any chance of winning Middleton seven of 20. He needs to be much more effective. I look, I don't know. I, I, a lot of it seems like Brooklyn played their defense just good enough, but it also kind of feels like Milwaukee just wasn't capitalizing on those opportunities. Uh, Bud wasn't making the kind of in-game adjustments that you might expect from him after he looked like he was finally taking a leap in the last series against the Heat, uh, not playing a lot of his stars for a prolonged period of time. I'm sure, I mean, by the end of the third quarter, the lead was already almost 50 points, so I can understand why they didn't play as long as they normally do. But something needs to change, and I'm not sure what it is, and I don't know if Milwaukee has the ability to figure out those answers in between now and Game 3. It, it's It's worth bringing up, and, you know, some people might point to the fact that Milwaukee, normally a really good three-point shooting team. They only made six shots in game one from beyond the arc. They only made eight of 27 in, in this game, too. But this is not just make or miss stuff. I mean, right. they were getting just bad shots over right. and over again. And to me, it does come down to Budenholzer a little bit, right? Like, you'd like to see more from guys like Giannis. And, and of course, you can't really control Chris Middleton missing his first eight shots. Although all those eight shots, I would say, weren't very good shots. They're all sort of like those weird herky-jerky turnaround mid-range thing. He was that he making does. against Miami. Well, he was making against Miami, and he's made for the last several years of his career, but still, you'd like to get more You'd like to get more stuff in the flow of the offense, and that just wasn't happening. And to me, I, I asked this on Twitter, how does Milwaukee go from looking so dominant on offense against Miami, which is a far more superior defense to Brooklyn, and that's not debatable. Brooklyn is a better team. Miami is a far better defense, and the Bucks ate them up ate their lunch, wasn't even close. And, and, you know, a team with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler had no answer for the Bucks' big three of Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. I wonder what happened. And, and one of the things I point to here is they just weren't using Giannis as a screener in mm. the way that the Bucks did and used uh, to dominate Miami in that first-round series. And I can't figure out for the life of me why that is why they went so far away from using using Giannis as a screener when that had been kind of the key to unlocking this offense all season long, not just in that first-round series. And the only thing I can come up with was that Brooklyn was using Kevin Durant to guard Giannis 
for a lot of the night where um, the the uh, the Bucks were using uh, PJ Tucker to use Kevin uh, to guard Kevin Durant whenever they could, but with Durant guarding Giannis. I wonder if Budenholzer decided, you know what, Durant is really their only plus defender in that starting in that starting lineup. Let's not pull Durant into the play by using Giannis as, in, as a screener. But in doing that, they just sort of got away from their best version. And I just, I, it's the playoffs, man. Who cares if you're pulling Durant into the into the play? Maybe you're going to tire him out, and then he doesn't go 12 for 18, right? And it takes him, instead of 18 shots to score 32 points, maybe it takes him 25 shots to score 32 points. And he's just a little bit less efficient than what he normally is. I don't know. But I don't think that you can abandon everything you want to do just because Durant is guarding Giannis. You can't allow yourself in game one to, to succumb to that, I don't think, if you're Budenholzer. And look, Adetokounmpo, two of seven at the line, should never be taking a three-pointer, 0 for 3 from behind the arc. And you hate to kind of go off the court as far as like any kind of possible impact or anything that they might be feeling as far as the team is concerned, but they do look intimidated. I know Bucks fans will probably agree with me wholeheartedly about that. They looked like they got punched. They couldn't recover. They weren't sure what to do, and they just kind of let the game get away from them very, very quickly. And, I mean, just – they didn't seem to have a response. It seemed like they spent anything they had left emotionally to try and knock off their, you know, to fight their demons in Miami. And they just have not had a response for what Brooklyn is capable of doing. The same thing happened in game one. They dominated with points in the paint, but couldn't score from the outside. They had 50, uh, 52 points in the paint versus Brooklyn's 38. But Brooklyn's just letting them do that because yeah. they know that they're going to make 21 of 42 from three point range. Because Milwaukee is scrambling on defense. They have no idea what's coming. You've got Joe Harris going three for seven. Durant going four for six. Blake Griffin made one of his two. Brown made one of his two. Kyrie is shooting 50% from three-point range. You're getting guys I've never even heard of off the bench scoring threes for them. Uh, and, 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 and Brooklyn on the flip side, or, or Milwaukee on the flip side, isn't getting a whole lot of meaningful production out of their bench. They got some points in garbage time tonight, but that was really it. Um, going forward. There's another, you texted me about the free throw discrepancy. Yeah. And I noticed it just in the fact that the game was going super fast. And hey, I guess this is what happens when James Harden misses the first two games of the series is that you just don't have a ton of free throws. Uh, only 28 total free throws uh, in game one. Here in game two, Milwaukee took nine free throws. Brooklyn took just seven. Hmm. Uh, this is great from an entertainment standpoint, no doubt. But right. what I really want to talk about is in a series that doesn't have a lot of foul calls, if they're going to hold the whistle, if the refs are going to hold the whistle, this that definitely favors the Brooklyn Nets, who are probably going, who, you know, could score more efficiently with or without the free throws. And it kind of feels like Milwaukee is probably going to have to get to the line in order to maximize their offense, where Brooklyn doesn't really need that based on the fact that they're shooting 50% from the field. So, no, yeah, I, I agree yeah. 100% there. So, I, I mean, look, I'm not saying it's a conspiracy that the refs are holding their whistles. I don't want to go down that lane, oh, but if, if, if all I'm saying is if the refs are going to call the games like they have been, then I don't see any need for the Brooklyn Nets to rush James Harden back because they're up to, they're going to, they're, they're up to O going back to Milwaukee. And that does not bode well for the bucks. That's all I'm saying. No, yeah, all fair. And look, and I'm I mean, also I mean, saying that they would rather have Brooklyn in the finals than Milwaukee, but I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. 
I, look, I, I really, I'm, I'm not going to play that game, but like Adenikumpo going two of seven, it, it's a huge problem. Like, what's the point of getting those foul calls if you're not bothering to hit them? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the the shot clock counter or anything like that that's throwing him off, or just the fact that he's a you know pretty bad shooter to begin with. But either way, he's going to be able to knock some of those downs, and that's part of it. If you're if you can't hit your free throws, and you certainly shouldn't be taking that three pointer, and that's not falling, you've got to be more aggressive. You got to find some way of getting something done. And right now, they just don't seem to have any response offensively, and that's kind of surprising because that's the whole point of bringing a guy like Holiday, you know, mortgaging your future to acquire a player like that so he can contribute, and all you're getting from him is 13 points, one of two from three-point range. That's not nearly good enough. No, and and you don't want to put everything on Giannis, right? But it kind of just starts with him. Once you get him going, then you could start getting Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday involved. Then you start getting the Brooke Lopez that we saw in that Miami series, starting to, you know, space the floor and do all these things that he does well. It starts with Giannis. And for Milwaukee to get back in this series, and this it, it is going back to Milwaukee, and at the end of the day, Brooklyn did what they needed to do. They won their two games at home. It, Milwaukee is not out of this series, but it starts with Giannis uh, picking up his game. And I guess Budenholzer putting him in the position to succeed that he needs to be in. Uh, coming up next, the key to the Suns taking game one against the Nuggets. But first, David, tell the listeners about Credit Karma. Well, Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use Credit Karma money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items of up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. So Credit Karma money, progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms do apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVP Bank, Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. And with an ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the parts you might need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure pointless or intimidating questions while the person behind the counter orders parts that you're looking for on their computer? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy-to-use site. You get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered directly and safely to your door. Rockauto.com's low prices are the same for everybody. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and then go to the section that says, how'd you hear about us? And write the phrase locked on so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. The Suns took game one of their series against the Nuggets. Chris Paul took over in the fourth quarter. He finished with 21 points and 11 assists. Mikal Bridges had 23 points, just dropping in from three-point range. And then DeAndre Ayton with 10 points and seven rebounds. Virtually played Nikola Jokic, who had 22 and nine to a draw. The Suns used a key 16-0 run in the second half to pull away in what was a very entertaining game. There's a lot of credit to go around here, David, but what was the main reason for Phoenix's win? 
I thought it was just their their pace, their composure, particularly in that second half. Uh, you mentioned the 16-0 run there, but it just seemed to pull away completely from Denver. And it seemed like they were just trying to get a feel for the series, for the game itself, and figure out exactly what they needed to do. And I think a lot of that credit should go to Chris Paul because it seemed like he was, to use the words of Rowan Nodkarney on, uh, on Twitter, you know, it seemed like he was lulling everybody to sleep and then just kind of instantly turned it on the fourth quarter, delivering backbreaker after backbreaker, just sealing the deal for Phoenix that seemed to happen. You know, again, whenever Denver threatened or tried to close the gap a little bit, they always seemed to respond. The Suns always had an answer, and a lot of that was due to Chris Paul. But you have to give credit to Mikhail Bridges as well. He had a fantastic game. Jay Crowder with 14 points. DeAndre Eaton with 20 points. A great game all around. Just an overall fantastic effort, as you mentioned. Uh, 12 points in the fourth quarter from Chris Paul. I mean, certainly did it. And and during the during the game, the broadcast was talking about Chris Paul was not having a good game through the first half and through some of that third quarter and and how guys like Mikhail Bridges uh, and and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton were sort of carrying that team. Torrey Craig nine points off the bench. That you know yeah. when you uh, uh, Cameron Payne seven points off the bench. I mean that stuff is all helpful. Um, but you're right, Chris Paul at the end there. Just took over when he absolutely needed to. Was started hitting his mid-range shots, hit a big three at the end. Um, and, and when he's doing that, and you're getting contributions up and down the rest of the roster, and, and given how just banged up Denver is, you're probably going to win a game, and you're probably going to win the game the way that Phoenix did, kind of running away with it at the end. I just what I, what stuck out to me was just the fact that DeAndre Ayton, the way that he has played in these playoffs. And then playing Nikola Jokic to a virtual draw in this first yep. game. That's it. To me, that's the game. I mean, you're, you're going to get contributions from Chris Paul and Devin Booker, however it looks, right? And then Chris Paul looked in heroic fashion, springing forth from, you know, this injured shoulder that maybe it's bothering him, maybe it's not. And then hmm. the 12 points in the like, whatever. He got 21 points and 11 assists. That's about an average Chris Paul game. Devin Booker had a, a below average game for him. 21 points on 8 for 12 shooting eight assists. I mean, it was a good game, but it was below average from, you know, the level of, that we've gotten accustomed to watching Devin Booker play at. Right. Um, Nicole Bridges, obviously a standout game with 23 points, but with Aiton doing what he did with to Jokic, I thought this, that big body, you know, I think back to how the Lakers bothered Jokic with Dwight Howard in, in the conference finals last year, Aiton is doing an impression of that now. And Jokic you know, he had a fine game, but very far from the MVP caliber that we, you know, that he's been playing at all season and what Denver, quite frankly, needs without Jamal Murray in the game. And I thought that Jamal Murray's absence in particular was very apparent in this game because every time Mikhail Bridges would hit a big shot or Chris Paul would hit a big shot, you know, you're just looking for Denver to, to answer back with a big shot. And Michael Porter Jr. had a good first half, not a great second half. Uh, ditto for Aaron Gordon, but Nikola Jokic can't do everything right and he took 23 shots to score 22 points and it just felt like they were really missing that jamal murray factor you know and, sure. and you could point to denver's defense sure giving up 122 points to phoenix and that was definitely a problem but i just felt like if they would have had the jamal murray thing there where this this guy who for the last two or three years in the postseason has just stepped up and hit huge shot after huge shot and put up huge scoring totals that that would have stopped phoenix's momentum a little bit and that could have actually Jamal Murray world, world, uh, weirdly could have helped Denver's defense uh, because God knows Austin Rivers wasn't helping on any end of the court. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're starting backcourt of Rivers and Campazzo, 21 points. I mean, that's what Murray probably would have been able to at least notch against that, uh, you know, against that team. So I think certainly his production would have been necessary there. But 
you know, you mentioned Jokic, and honestly, I feel like he could do more. Like, he has to do more. If you're going to start talking about what adjustments need to be made from Denver, a big part of it is he has to be more aggressive. The version of of Joker that Denver fans want to see where he can dominate a game, where he can score 30 to 40 points, zero free throw attempts. For a guy, an MVP candidate who averaged almost six free throw attempts per game during the regular season, to not be able to get to the line, to not slow the pace, particularly during that second half when Phoenix started running away with the game, that's inconceivable. That's that's not going to work. I mean, you need to be able to do something differently. And now, look, to, to the Nuggets' credit, we've seen them refuse to break at any point over the last few years during Michael Malone's tenure. I mean, we know what this team is capable of. They're going to bounce back. They're going to figure it out. The series is probably going to get a lot more competitive than it looked in game one. But a lot of that falls on Joker. You're not going to get, you know, Jamal Murray or or Will Barton to kind of step up off the bench and have a huge contribution. It has to fall on you. If you're the MVP candidate, you've got to play like it. They could end up getting Will Barton back in this series, but you're exactly right. Jokic needs to just be the best player on the floor. And tonight, he wasn't even one of the two best players on the floor. He probably wasn't one of the best four best players on the floor, quite frankly. And he has he has to be the best. And if it's anything short of that, Denver loses the series. And, and it's sort of like what we're talking about with Brooklyn, right? Or, yeah. or with Milwaukee. It starts with your MVP player, and then it kind of trickles down from there. Yeah, you could use more than 15 points from Michael Porter Jr. on 13 shots. You can use more from a guy like Aaron Gordon. You can use more up and down the roster, but it starts with Jokic. And if he doesn't step up, and to me, the big thing was the only he only had three assists. Like that to right. me is the big concern. He has to have way he has to be back to his triple double ways for Denver to have any chance in the series. But with all of the injuries that they've they that they're dealing with, Phoenix is just they're complete, they're healthy. Man, they're really good. And you're getting right in front of us right now. And I don't mean to take away from anything the Suns did in the regular season. But when you're doing it in the playoffs, it means something else. And we are seeing over the course of this postseason for Phoenix, the emergence of guys like Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton as legitimate, like all-star, like uh, Devin Booker, obviously an all-star caliber player already. Booker is a top-tier scorer. Ayton, Bridges, I mean, these guys... you would bet on them making all-star games at points in their careers with the way that they're playing in the playoffs. I mean, these, and of course they have Jay Crowder. This is that, that's just a fully complete team and, and Denver is going to have their handfuls. But like you said, they're one of the, the scrappiest teams in the league. They battled back in three, one before uh, they're only down one Oh now. And both of these games starting. And one quick shout out to Phoenix's crowd. That was the yep. best crowd of the season, not just the playoffs. That was the best crowd of the season. You, it, it came through on the television, just a, a shout out to them. Yeah, I mean, Miami had that big crowd for game three, and then, of course, they wound up getting blown out, so it didn't really quite have that same sort of impact. But, yes, uh, it, uh, after a 15-point win, you could really certainly feel the energy from that Phoenix crowd there. Is there Do you see an X factor for Denver who hasn't stepped up, aside from Joker, obviously? Who is the person there on that roster who can really have a big game? Because I, I don't know if they have anybody other than Murray, but I guess it it's Michael Porter to- Jr., right? It would have to be. I mean, there was times in that first half where he was hitting turnaround jumpers in that mid-range area and just stuff like that. I yep. think Jokic needs to carry them through the first three quarters, and then maybe Michael Porter Jr. could be one of those other guys the closer. That, could, that that can yeah that can close it, you know, in a fourth quarter situation. But it would have to be him. I can't imagine Aaron Gordon could be a little bit better defensively. I thought he he started out pretty strong. They had him slotted on Devin Booker. If he mm-hmm. could be a, a game-changing defensive player as opposed to just a pretty solid one. I mean, there were times where he was coming off the, the weak side and, and providing really great help defense and disrupting things. He had three steals in the game. If he could just keep doing more of that, 
And then if Michael Porter Jr. can really step up on, I mean, because they'll probably need him and Jokic to average, you know, 60 between them. And that's not an exaggeration if they're going to oh, yeah. compete in this yeah. series. 35 and 25 probably feels like a good bet. Yeah. Uh, coming up, can the Hawks actually upset the 76ers a second time? And who we like to come out of the Clippers and Jazz series? But first, David, tell the listeners about Bet Online. Well, by now, they should know that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all their sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online, but there's tons of sports action going on right now with a new WNBA season, of course, the NBA playoffs, the NHL, and so much more. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for the runs to the finals. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive that 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. Uh, you want to hear about a bad bet that I encourage my listeners on Locked On Warriors to yes. to do on for Bet Online? Uh, yes. I said I love Milwaukee as one and a half point underdogs going into Brooklyn. Oof. James Harden injured. Milwaukee didn't make a ton of threes in the first game. They'll bounce back in game two. I was very wrong about that. Uh, there's a lot of other bets you could do on bet online though. And you don't have to listen to me. Uh, the Hawks after winning game one, will try to take game two in Philadelphia tonight. David, after such an impressive game one performance, I want to ask you why not the Hawks? Can they really win this series? Yeah. Yeah. I think they can. I, I think, you know, I, I think a lot is made about the fact that they're untested and they're unproven, but I mean, is Philadelphia proven? Like aside from Dwight Howard and Danny green, they don't really have a ton of actual experience on there. Certainly not successful playoff experience. I mean, Simmons is not a, a proven commodity in the playoffs, and neither is Embiid. They both struggled in the postseason at times in the past. And like you add the kind of role players that you think will help bolster their chances, and it's a, a fine form team, but maybe it's just like what we've seen from Milwaukee over the last few years, a team that's better suited for the regular season and not necessarily for the postseason. So mm. I don't know that they're going to get the same kind of effort from a guy like Trey Young in particular who does so much of the heavy lifting for Atlanta's offense but if they can continue to get some similar performances from him and they can get some of the key contributions from the role players that they did in game one I can't see why they couldn't steal a couple games here and there look they did exactly what they needed to do they went into Philadelphia stole game one and from there, they're playing with house money. I, I think you can go back to Atlanta, get some of that home cooking going. I think you can start to get a big game from Trey Young. I, I don't know that I don't know that Philadelphia is going to be able to make any adjustments. And maybe a lot of that just falls in Embiid being dominant and being healthy. But I don't think that either of those things are going to happen. I don't think he's going to be healthy. And so that's going to lead to him being less than effective as a dominant big man that we've seen from him, the kind of guy who can be a legitimate MVP player. Yeah, two points. Uh, you started – a sentence and when you started that sentence aside from Dwight Howard and Danny Green Philadelphia just doesn't have much uh, playoff experience you could just hear the collective groan of Philadelphia fans being like really is it, is it those two guys that we have to count on to lead us <laughs> down the stretch um and, and look the Hawks best players played really well in game one the Sixers best players did not and B did 39 points on 12 for 21 despite I thought really good defense even from Clint Capella but um, you know, the Hawks were getting, you know, this crazy, you know, statement performance from Trey Young that, that, that continues, uh, Bojan or Bogdan Bogdanovich played a great game. Capella, again, That's I thought good. he played a really good game, but Embiid was just 
you know MVP. Hey, Milwaukee could sure use Bogdanovich's there. shooting, right? Yeah, they should have they should have inquired about him a little bit more in the summer. I thought. Um, I thought the Sixers actually figured something out though at the end of Game One when they doubled down on defense. They put out uh, Matisse Thybul along with Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, Joel Embiid there at the end of the game. I thought they maybe something maybe clicked there because they will fare better in this series if it's slowed down and if it's mm-hmm. more of a defensive struggle than what it was in game one that was much more up-tempo. Uh, I have basically at this point written off Ben Simmons in the playoffs. I mean, he's just not been good. It, it's He just hasn't. Maybe he bounces back, but the only way to unlock Ben – there are times where they try to unlock Ben Simmons by taking Joel Embiid off the court. Of course, Embiid had those games where he was injured and they went super small with Ben Simmons at center and all those against Washington and all those things, but whatever, man. I'm, I'm, I'm over expecting anything more out of Ben Simmons at this point because he just hasn't done it in these playoffs. And so don't, I don't think you need to alter your strategy and try to make, and try to go up tempo at any point in this game, slow it down, throw all your best defenders at, at Trey young and, and Bogdanovich. And if it requires putting Ben Simmons, a non-factor on offense in these playoffs, Matisse Tybel, a non-factor on offense, generally speaking, and, mm-hmm. and some other defensive first players on the court, if it means slowing down Trey Young and Bogdanovich and, and Kevin Herter and, and these guys and John Collins and these guys just a little bit, then you ought to do it and then slow these things down and then just hope that Joel Embiid can keep scoring 39 points on 21 shots, I, I suppose. And, and that's where I think Philadelphia is. And they made that really strong run at the end of game one yeah. that Philadelphia fans are going to be pointing to pointing to as evidence that they can come back and yeah, that don't there's buy nothing it. to worry about, but you don't buy it. No, I, I think that was kind of more indicative of Atlanta kind of just taking their foot off the gas okay. and saying, oh, we're, we're kind of in control of this game. There's no chance of them coming back. A lot of those shots, I don't think, fall for them as consistently in game two. I, I, I don't think Sixers fans, I, don't, I can't believe that they'd be that optimistic after that because if they put in that supreme effort and like it was an exciting, fun game, certainly came down to the wire and everything else. But a lot of it, at least to me, felt more like Atlanta just kind of letting go of the situation. And maybe that... Maybe that is sustainable from Atlanta. Maybe that's where the youth does play a factor for that unproven team, and they kind of just don't recognize the importance of being able to sustain it for 48 full minutes. But I haven't seen that Philadelphia can master that for for a consistent 48-minute stretch, too. So I I don't know. It it kind of comes down to whether or not which team is going to be able to be mature the most quickly because either Atlanta or Philadelphia is probably going to screw the pooch at some point in game two. It's just which one does it first and for for the longest period of time. Let's quickly move on to game one between the Clippers and the Jazz, two evenly matched teams that like to get their stars in isolation and they like to take a ton of threes. What to use the X factor in this series, David? Uh, I don't know that there is one. I I mean, to me, I I feel like it's going to be a pretty dominant effort by Utah. I think this is their year. And maybe I'm just playing the hits to our listeners here, but I don't, I don't like the Clippers chances though. I really don't. I know you've been, well, you've, you've talked them up a little bit. And I mean, we've, we've seen what Kawhi can do. But I don't yeah. know that you look at the rest of that roster and expect them to be able to step up because even in the Dallas series, I don't think they were. I mean, Reggie Jackson put in a, a great performance in Game 7. I don't know if that's going to hmm. be something you're going to see often. I mean, do you see an X factor in the Clippers? Because I don't at this point. So I think Rudy Gobert is the X factor in the series because if he, can, if he can dominate in the paint, then because, you know, the Clippers haven't faced that like player in Dallas, you know, 
they, they, they ran Boban out there a little bit. Porzingis had his moments, but nobody was going to be able to dominate the way that, that Gobert did. And if Gobert can basically stifle Kawhi's bully ball mid-range stuff, then that takes a lot. And Paul George wanting to get to the rim and drive and kick and, what, and, and everything that Paul George has done to thrive over the second half of that, that Dallas series, um, then I think that shuts down a lot of what the Clippers want to do. On the flip side, you know, what can Kawhi, can, can Kawhi and Paul George just sort of take over on the perimeter? And these are sort of the matchups I'm looking at. Gobert versus Kawhi, like I talked about. And then L.A.'s perimeter defenders versus Utah shooters, you know, guys like Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, you know, uh, uh, Clarkson, Ingles, Joe Ingles yeah. yeah, all these guys. I mean, can they can they take over and set the tone on the perimeter and just sort of stifle what it is that Utah wants to do? Because ultimately, they want to drive and kick, right? That's how the Jazz are winning on offense. You start off Batum on Gobert the way that he was guarding uh, Boban. Do you start and- small that that way? I don't even. I think if you're Utah, you probably see if Zubac can survive in this series. It sounds like, by the way, that Ibaka won't be available uh, for this first game. So we'll see what happens with his status. But I, I think you, you at least try Zubac out at first. And then if he if he gets played off the court, because Dallas just played him off the court by pulling him into pick and roll after pick and roll. And Donovan Mitchell will probably, probably try to do the same thing. And Rudy Gobert is an awesome pick and roll finisher. So they might just do that. But I think if you're the Clippers, you at least try it before you go to the super small lineup, but I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah. know. I'm curious to see whether or not Ingles can get under Paul George's skin again, too. I think that's a, it's a definitely something to look out for. <laughs> That'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts for 30 minutes of the NBA's top stories every day. We'll be back here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find me over at Locked on Warriors and David at Locked on Heat. Now get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening.